0: Hi, yes, it's The Film File, the film show for film geeks by film geeks. Hi, welcome to The Film File and welcome to episode 66. Yes, there are 65 previous episodes that if you haven't caught up with, then you should. I'm Lee Ford. And I'm Andy Meakin. And welcome. To another show, to another podcast, and since we spoke to you, uh, well, a week ago, things have changed. Andy and I are now fully vaccined up. I'm absolutely, I'm bursting. I'm like Johnny Storm, full of antibodies. <laughs> I am, I am radiating that much. Andy, how was your vaccination? How did it go for you? When did you get
1: it? Uh, well, I got the text alert last wednesday saying oh you you can now book it and i booked it and got it for the very next day at one o'clock so thursday last week at one o'clock went down got my job and i've got a major phobia of needles so for me for me to go and like get an injection is a huge thing it's you know it's it takes a lot of willpower for me to even focus up to it and like literally it was a straight in i was i was surprised it was straight in straight through straight into the cubicle and then I would like take down the details and she's talking and like the other ones get ready to administer it and I just went just to let you know I'm no good with needles so I'm going to look away and I might pull some strange faces and make noises and she was like oh yeah and she started talking to distract me and then just stuck it in and I was like yeah, yeah. <laughs>
0: and that was it. I, I, to be honest I, I, I didn't even notice it, it had gone in it was like a little little bit of a Sting. And then that was it. And I, I really didn't even notice yeah, I mean, it, 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 it got in. It's a
1: lot different I me. I remember back in the days when I was young and like needles were always like, there were huge things like that. And they'd come yeah, at you yeah. like that. Long as an arm. Yeah, now the needle is very short and stumpy and it's literally just to prick the skin, get in the into the muscle and done. Um, and yeah. I, I can't look at it. I can't watch an injection.
0: No, and why should you? Really? It's not a spectator sport. It's one of the things
1: when it comes to watching films, if there's ever an injection scene, I can't look, I have to look away. The second Saw film, I was fine with all the blood and torture that took place, bones snapping, people burning alive and turning to char. But then there was that pit of syringes. And at that point, I felt like passing that was out. The one. I, I, I was nauseated in the screen and had to look away. That's my own psycho- psychosis. But as for the injection, I mean, did you have um, AstraZeneca? I
0: had Astroversion. <laughs> Uh, yeah, um, I, I was okay. I know I'd been told by a lot of friends who'd had it that that, that you're going to feel unwell. My arm didn't even ache. There was just a little bit where I'd had the injection. And then I didn't have a particularly good night's sleep. I was really hot and really restless. But the next day, I just felt slightly off colour. I, I can't even say that I felt poorly. Just felt eh, slightly not myself. And, and, and that was it. Kind of lasted less than less than sort of 24 hours and i'd I'd moved on so yeah just for a few hours i'd felt off color but i know some people have reacted and 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 had it bad maybe as i say i'm I'm bristling with antibodies so (laughs) i kind of escaped that did you were you okay
1: well i I had a a soreness in the arm for a couple of days at like where the injection was which made it uncomfortable to sleep on that side which was annoying because that's the side that I normally sleep on the day after it i felt a bit achy but nothing major the only thing that I had was I, I had a headache that just wouldn't shift. It wasn't a major It wasn't like a migraine. It was just like a, a dulling thud kind of headache. And then the very next day after that, I was so fine that I got up, went for a walk and did 14.6 kilometers. And my feet Fantastic. were then hurting. Um, so then
0: <laughs> <laughs> swap the pain. I swapped
1: the pain around. I made my body think about the feet. And it ignored everything else, but no, I, I didn't get any much side effects on it.
0: There's that enormous sense of well-being, though, isn't there? Thinking that that because of what we've done, there's herd immunity uh, now, like uh, an acceptable phrase rather than it's "kill your grandma," yeah, as, as it was earlier. And the, there's just that sense of knowing that you you've overcome one of the obstacles. I mean, I wish I'd I'd had the had the jab earlier, and then I wouldn't have got sick. I hope, but yeah. you know, it's it's uh, I'm pleased to have um, I've got it. Uh, and I recommend anybody else, even if you've got a fear of needles, like Andy. You know, it's yeah. so important that you do it, and so important. Why you're talking about this on a film show is you can get back to the cinema any day now. Andy, without getting all fantastic voyage, do you know how it works? The vaccine? Um, well, you know, have you seen the coronavirus? Aren't you? Yes. It's not. It's not. I've, it's not I've wizard seen, talk. <laughs> I've,
1: well, I've not actually seen the coronavirus because I've not got a microscope to look at it. Uh, but I know you not it looks like, and I know, yeah.
0: <laughs> so you know, it's got these like uh, it looks like the the spaceship out of First Men in the Moon. It's got all these little circular thing with little nodules. So anyway, little, yeah. the the vaccine is is a protein. It, is a, it's the cures and it's wrapped in a protein. So when it goes down into your body, its its job is to go I will uh, I'll look after and attack anything that's got these little nodules on like the coronavirus so when the coronavirus enters your, your body it recognizes anything with nodules and thus goes right attack the nodules it's like attacking the death star uh, and, and that's what it does <laughs> and that's what these proteins do so it breaks down basically anything that's got nodules it's gonna uh, it's going to attack the easiest way to, to put it into film geek terms attack the death star. That's what it's doing.
1: Attack the Death Star, yeah. And as a, as a benefit, we we've, we've now been upgraded to five G Wi Fi. So,
0: uh... yeah, fantastic. And I and I do it in my own head. I just thought the downside <laughs> of being able to read people's thoughts was was a bit odd. But you know, that's that's I'm happy with that one. I was asking for for Spider Strength,
1: and there's the whole Bill Gates is like reading all our minds, which is one of the reasons why I watched Thunder Force last week because. I want him to suffer that film like the rest of us have.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, uh, because they don't track you through your credit card or your phone. Think about it. (laughs) So in this week's show, other than talking about coronavirus, in this week's show, we will be giving you our usual news segment where Andy has been trawling the World Wide Web to bring you the latest in news. We are going to do a deep dive into John Borman's Excalibur, Andy is going to be reviewing The Father, Promising Young Woman, and Love and Monsters. And of course, we will be talking about the penultimate episode of The Falcon and the Winter Soldier. All that to come, but before, Andy, as I said, is kind of the Sherlock Holmes of the film internet site. He will dive into the deepest recesses of the internet to find you all the latest news that's out there in the world of film. In a segment that we like to call... Very simply, the news. Okay, so Andy, give me the news.
1: I'm sure you were as excited as me at the drop of the trailer that we've both been waiting for for quite some weeks. We said it it must be due, and there it was this week. The Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings trailer dropped, and boy... I'm sold on that film.
0: Yeah, I mean, how did, how they dropped it? There was no fanfare. No, nope. I I got home and I I was just checking uh, through the regular sites that I check on for my film news, and there it was. Now I've had some trepidation about this, yeah, uh, because Shang Chi is always one of those characters. Master of Kung Fu comic was was a, a staple favorite. I at a certain point I never missed an issue until its uh, initial cancellation. The Doug Mensch Paul Galassi run. on on Master of Kung Fu is is one of the most dominant comic book series I've I've ever read I absolutely uh, adored it and so I've had a little bit of worry I I I didn't like the casting when I saw who they could have cast in in the role of Shang-Chi yeah but I would go for it I'll give everything a chance I'm I'm not the person to to write a, a mean tweet because they didn't cast who I wanted them to cast Uh, And I was concerned (laughs) that it wasn't going to be the Adventures of Shang-Chi that I grew up with, which was the MI6 agent. I know it's not Fu Manchu. They've had to move on from that for for very good reasons. And and I've I've come to terms, and especially with seeing the trailer, that it wasn't the movie that I had in my head, which which is often a problem for fans, isn't it? You've got a version of the film that you play in your internal cinema, and it's never going to match up to that. Now I've got an inkling yeah. of what the movie is about and the style uh, and the fact that it it looks like less of a hard boiled Enter the Dragon style kung fu movie, which was which was the version I was directing, and I can see where they're going with it. And it it looked a lot like traditional Chinese action cinema to a degree. I'm I'm now on board, yes. and I just got to come to terms that it's not going to be the Doug Mench Paul Galacy. It's more the uh, the much more modern iteration of who Shang-Chi is now.
1: Yeah, the film's going to see Shang-Chi confronting his past as he gets drawn within the organisation of the mysterious Ten Rings and their intricate web of corruption. And in the trailer, we see that stylized martial arts that we've seen in so many other films. But it looks so beautiful. I love that uh, wushu martial arts or whatever it is, uh, when people are balancing on blades
0: and running up walls. and Yeah, oh yeah, it's that traditional Chinese cinema yeah. look, isn't it?
1: And, and we also get a glimpse of the prowess of Simu Lu as Shang-Chi. And we got our first glimpse of the Mandarin, the proper Mandarin played by Tony Leung. You know what? I'm well and truly on board. The trailer also confirmed the September the 3rd release date, which means it's still all on target. So it was nice to get the drop. What was interesting with the drop is that the drop was announced as a teaser trailer. That was more than just a teaser. That was a proper trailer. I was expecting, because normally you see teaser trailer just being released and you get a 10 second clip. But no, it was a proper trailer. So if you've been put off because it just said tease and you thought, I'll wait for the full version, it is the full version. Get that trailer checked out. It's a new direction for Marvel, but it's still got that feel of a Marvel movie. So it's going to have familiar aspects, but it's also going to be drawing on a whole new aspect of the marvel universe can't wait
0: you know when it comes to casting in 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 the marvel universe while they might not go with your initial idea they don't take anything for granted they don't take any chances yeah uh, unless of course that chance is going to prove to be a big star so i've got to i've got to accept that that's who they this is the guy they've got to play shang chi again it's not not the version in my head what what we did get in that 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 trailer because you're right it is more than a than a teaser it it still has that big blockbuster Marvel feel to it. You know, you've got the Kung Fu and and the fu look to it. And you've got a big cast. And, you know, there's probably more humour in it than than what I anticipated. I know, I'm not going to get that Paul Galassi, Doug Mench, uh, uh, Shang-Chi. The only way that would have happened is if it had gone to Disney Plus as a series. What we are going to get is a, is a director's vision of bringing Shang-Chi to a, a bigger audience, in the, in the same way that Guardians got brought to a bigger audience from being this sort of cool thing. Uh, what is interesting about it is, and, and this is what Marvel do so well, and when we talk about Falcon and Winter Soldier, is how they seed this into the cinematic universe. Of course, so, of course, it, it started with the first Iron Man film. Uh, then we got yeah. the uh, we got it again in Iron Man three and it makes more relevance and I always liked the twist I thought the twist in Iron Man three was, was fantastic but it, ma- <laughs> it it's given yeah, that a, a, an even think... bigger relevance in the same way that um, Endgame gave more relevance to Thor Dark World it, of course if you've got a guy who's an international criminal why should he expose himself when you can get yeah you can get an actor to do that. It's the very, very smart thing that Marvel do has they how they've peppered it into, into the MCU.
1: Uh, sticking with Marvel, and there's been some news on the Secret Invasion series for Disney Plus, which has started casting at the moment. Uh, Amelia Clark has been added to the cast, and Olivia Coleman is in final negotiations to secure a role within the series. Now, I'm hoping that the Amelia Clark that they're going to be putting into it is the one from game of thrones not that other one who looks just like her who is in Terminator genesis (laughs) solo a star wars story and other lackluster films with lackluster performances fingers crossed with it being a like a tv outing she's shone in game of thrones so i'm willing to hope that they've made the right choice like you said with the shang chi one it's not the casting that i'd normally like to see but you know what i'm gonna see what happens and i'll give it a shot for those who don't know what the secret invasion is all about Whilst we don't exactly know how the MCU is going to play it, if it draws any inspiration from the comics, yeah, all those heroes that you've been watching for the past 10 years, some of them may not be who they are pretending to be because some of them may be scrolls. It's basically scrolls are going to be manipulating things. There's good scrolls, there's bad scrolls, and it's going to pick up on the threads from Captain Marvel and the brief moments in Spider Man Far From Home. It's going to be intriguing.
0: Can I just offer a, a, a slight interjection at this you point? Can. I had to read something the other day. You know what really drives me nuts when people use the word "casted." casted. They casted <laughs> Amelia Clark. There's no such word, folks. <laughs> Ban it from your head. Somebody made it up, and it is—it's just lousy English. I've said it, but don't use the word "casted."
1: Cast is future, present, and past tense. Oh, it's like when people say sheeps, but that's a different story. Meanwhile, over in the Spider-Verse and Joaquin dos Santos, Kent Powers and Justin K. Thompson have been picked to direct the sequel to the first Spider-Verse animated movie for Sony Pictures Animation.
0: Are Miller and Lord still involved in this? They are
1: hanging around as producers and are also joining David Callahan as writers on it. So they are still going to be heavily involved, but they're stepping away from the animation duty and handing it over to others. Now... I had to look up the names of the people who are taking over. Kent Powers, he previously co-directed Soul, and he also wrote One Night in Miami. Thompson was a producer on the first Spider-Verse film, so that's where he's coming from. And Dos Santos has worked worked on a load of animated movies, including Legend of Korra, Justice League Unlimited, Teen Titans. He's done the Avatar of the Last Airbender series, Voltron animations. He's got a history of involvement in animated. So I think it's all in really, really good hands. And let's be honest, if it can be half the film that the first Spider-Verse was, it's still going to be one of the best animated movies that comes out next year.
0: Was an absolute work of art. I've got a bit of news, if you're ready. Kristen Wiig, who we like a lot. And Annie Momolo are writing a Cinderella's Stepsisters spinoff for Disney. So Disney have had some success in finding different and new approaches to uh, uh, some of their catalog, their back catalog. And, And clearly what they're doing is they're bringing a lot of their work up to date. And this is one of the work. Kristen Wiig is just one of those actors that I just simply adore everything that she's in. Even Wonder Woman 84, I'm always open to anything she's done, and it's going to be interesting to see where she goes with this.
1: With the success that the Maleficent films made for Disney, that made them realise that they don't need to focus on the main characters to do spin-off movies. We've got Cruella coming out next month, uh, which is going to delve into the history of Cruella de Vil. So I I think it's quite interesting that they are picking the side characters to tell stories about, because we already know the Cinderella story. Let's see the other side. So the Flash movie. So there was the speculation over the recent weeks that Michael Keaton might not have been getting involved in the Flash movie because, well, in his own words, he basically said that he hadn't really looked at the script or given it any consideration. He's got other things happening. And the COVID situation in the UK concerned him with the travel restrictions, etc. And he needed to work out whether it would work and whether he wants to put himself in that situation. Well, we've had the confirmation now that he is going to be returning. It's all been ironed out. A deal has been sorted out. And Michael Keaton is going to be back
0: as Batman. He's my Batman. He really is. He's uh, he's the one that defied Batman on the big screen for me. And I know we said uh, Clooney could drop in and we'd have no problem with that. I mean, I've always been a bit of a Michael Keaton fan yeah. going back to way back to Johnny Dangerously. But he's my, he's my Batman. Um, so Ezra Miller is reprising his role as the super speedster. Uh, Barry Allen, it's directed by its director, uh, Andy Muschietti, and Ray is not in it. Moving on.
1: <laughs> yeah, move on before I start ranting. Uh, the Sonic movie sequel, a shot from the set has revealed that as well as Sonic and Tails, who fans like myself were expecting, there's more reasons to get giddy Because Knuckles looks to be set to joining them. And I can see you going blanking over and your eyes are just blazing at this point in time.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I did. I mean, I I went, Knuckles? You had me and then you lost me.
1: Uh, Unless it's a deliberate red herring, there's been a shot released where there's three mini prop statues of Sonic, Tails and Knuckles stood alongside. Because instead of using the traditional replacement for CGI characters of a ball on a stick and things like that to get the actor's eye lines, they're actually using prop replicas for when the actors are talking down to the characters, which I think is a great idea. And they are fully detailed models that they've built for this role. They look amazing. But Knuckles is in there and like, I hope this isn't a red herring. I hope Knuckles is in it because that is it. This film is going to be my film of next year. It needs all the awards and I want it in my life. Um, the first film, you know how much I loved it.
0: Yeah, you did. You, you totally went for and it. And
1: I'm so happy to see that everyone who was involved in that is back. Jeff has returned to direct it and the cast is sticking around. I'm expecting just more of that fun energy because it was one of those rare times when a video game movie, actually felt right for the property we mentioned earlier
0: that uh, uh, amelia clark is joining the marvel universe but another cast member from game of thrones uh another villain actually a pill aspect is joining the cast of aquaman 2 we don't know much about uh aquaman 2 at this point but we now know that they are started casting
1: all fans of downton abbey can get very excited at the news that there's now going to be a second Downton Abbey film that has already started shooting and is planned to release this Christmas. Everyone is back, who you'd expect. Hugh Dancy, Dominic West, Laura Haddock, Natalie Byrne, all on board. And the series creator, Julian Fellows. If you like Downton I'm not a Downton Abbey fan. I've never quite latched no, yeah, onto yeah. it.
0: I tried. I gave it. I gave it one watch. I had a, a, a girlfriend at the time who loved it, and I gave it one watch, and it was very pretty. It was very well done. I can't can't deny that it was it was well produced, and the acting was was top notch. It just wasn't for me at all.
1: Yeah, for me, it was it was even though it looks very rich and sumptuous, it was a poor man's upstairs downstairs uh, for those who can cast their mind back that far. Fans of it are all over it, and this is something. This is something that they just need to hope that it doesn't do a Sex in the City where the second film absolutely destroys the franchise in one fell swoop. Hopefully they'll keep up the consistency and the standard that all the fans want. However, on the flip side, a franchise that I am enthused about is anything to do with Mad Max. And the Furiosa movie spin-off
0: is go. Yes. So after George Miller, and I didn't realise this, they had some legal wranglings with Warner Brothers. Uh, apparently that's behind him now. So he's he's ready to start rolling on um, Furiosa with a with a different cast. We're talking about the younger years of Furiosa.
1: Yeah, the filming's going to start in June with eyes on a June 2023 release because as with the Mad Max Fury Road, there's a lot of post-production effects work that needs to be put put in there to create this future. Uh, Chris Hemsworth is in there. Anya Taylor-Joy is going to be playing Furiosa. And Yaha Abdul-Mateen II, will also star in there. Oh, he's good. He's very good. Uh, So it's great casting. Anya Taylor-Joy, I think, is a marvellous casting choice for Furiosa. The reason why Theron isn't back is this is going to be an origin story for Furiosa. So they need to have someone younger to build up to. Now, Miller has clarified that the film will span events over a series of years as it casts a glance back at the origins of the fierce female road warrior. Now, I wonder if with it spanning such a wide time frame, will they get Theron back, at least for like a book ending intro and outro to tell the story? I can see that kind of being something that the Miller might work to. I'm not holding my breath for it. I think it'd be a nice little touch.
0: With a tie in to something I'm going to be talking about later. And we mentioned... Uh, Adam Sandler's in production with a sci-fi drama of all things called *The Spaceman*. Uh, the rather wonderful Carrie Mulligan is going to be joining the cast.
1: Yes, I've had my eye on this. Uh, you know my feelings with Adam Sandler. That I I love him as an actor, but I hate him as a comic. I think his comedy is a dreadful,
0: uh, pure, pure nonsense. Every time
1: he's done something more serious, he's always impressed me, and this looks like it's one of them. Uh, this is, this film is getting directed by Johan Renk of Chernobyl fame so it's in very good hands Great and it's a sci-fi story which sees Sandler play an astronaut sent to the edge of the galaxy to collect some mysterious dust that might uncover the secrets of the origin of life but as soon as he finds his earthly life back home is falling to pieces he begins talking to a, a mysterious voice that can help him fix things a creature from the dawn of time that's lurking in the shadows of the ship Mulligan is going to play his wife Back on Earth, and also joining her will be Paul Dano and Kunal Nair from The Big Bang Theory, who were added to the cast over the past couple of days. This is a film that I'm looking forward to. It's a Netflix production, which means that, you know, basically the creators have full creative control and it looks like it's going to be one of Sandler's more detailed and complex roles well and truly on board with this.
0: Uh, A couple of other casting news, not casted news I may point out. (laughs) Some of the casting news is Hugh Jackman and Laura Dern are starring in The Sun for director Florian Zeller and something I know that you're super, super excited about. Uh, I'm surprised you've not been all over Twitter with how uh, giddy you are. Fisherman Friends too adds uh, some cast members as shooting is about to begin.
1: I did actually want to watch Fisherman's Friends but it's one of those films that I keep putting on the back burner. I've heard good things about it but It's never quite grabbed me. I'm going to go and see it.
0: You're far too young for it. You're far too young.
1: I'll watch it now that there's a second film coming. Um, on other casting news, Mads Mikkelsen has been added to the lineup for Indiana Jones Five.
0: Yeah, well, this seems to be rolling along. I mean, we we ran the story that James Mangold uh, wasn't going to shoot in Georgia due to the uh, to the laws, uh, the voting laws that they passed there, uh, and that they'd added Phoebe Waller Bridge to the cast, and now Mads Mikkelsen, right? again, one of those actors that I can watch in absolutely anything. So, I mean, they're going out with uh, with a complete bang, and as I said, this probably acts as an apology to the last Indiana Jones movie which name will never pass our lips again. But I, again, can watch him in anything. It's great
1: casting news that is making me kind of get more and more excited for this new Indiana Jones film. Spielberg's still got to be hanging around doing producing and he's expected to be very hands-on with it as in he will be partnering up basically with James Mangold to make sure that he can deliver the film that he should have delivered on the fourth one. Uh, John Williams is also confirmed to be returning to score the film. So it's sounding absolutely crisp. Filming starts this summer for a July 2022 release. So moving on to Vin Diesel, who wants to bring a very obscure old game that you probably remember. Do you remember Rock'em Sock'em Robot? You
0: know how I remember this? I remembered this from adverts. (laughs) I never played it. Uh, I I remember seeing the ads in which it looked spectacular. And I think we've had this movie already in real steel. Ten years ago, yeah. So apparently uh, Vin is bringing these to the big screen. You know, there's there's still room for two robots knocking seven bells out of each other. So I I think there is a market for this one.
1: Well, the script for this one is penned by Ryan Eagle, who penned Rampage. And it's going to see a father and son bond with an advanced war machine in an action adventure. It looks like it's going a different route than Real Steel, because Real Steel was basically Rocky with robots. So this looks like it's going to be going at the military on the run kind of aspect. Mattel, who created Rock'em Sock'em Robots are also working on getting other sections of their toy department up on screen. Barbie film is at c- certain point of plotting. Barney, Hot Wheels, and, wait for it, Magic 8-Ball, the movie.
0: You know, I've heard, there's been rumours of all these, these movies for absolute years. Hot Wheels was... Uh, um... I think every writer in Hollywood has had an attempt at at Hot Wheels. Same with Stretch Armstrong. That's another one that every writer in Hollywood has has made an attempt on. You know, it's IP, and we know now that that cinema works via IP. Um, Talking of IP, uh, Mike Flanagan, whose last film, Doctor Sleep, I absolutely adored uh, and thought was actually the Stephen King adaptation that was better than the Stephen King book, is adapting a science fiction horror novel, The Season of Passage, which I believe is a young adult story by Christopher Pike, who is also the captain of the original Enterprise. So (laughs) I'm kind of looking forward to that one.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I read up on this and it sounds my kind of sci-fi approach. Uh, A US manned mission to Mars is following in the wake of a Russian one that went missing. And as the crew are getting closer to Mars, they start to receive strange visions and memories, which may unravel clues as to what happened to the Russian crew. Intriguing. Sounds like it's got a bit of sunshine in there. Excited. Sticking with projects that are on the way and let's move towards music biopics because sometimes they're good, sometimes they're not. Sometimes they're...
0: Sometimes the Bohemian Rhapsody. Yeah,
1: I was, I was trying to think of what to say. But Midas Man is a biopic that's going to be moving into production about Brian Epstein, the Beatles' manager. Uh, it's going to be directed by Jonas Ackerlund, and it's scored its lead actor of Jacob Fortune Lloyd, who was recently seen alongside Anya Taylor-Joy in Queen's Gambit last year.
0: Okay, I, I'm not familiar with his work. I never got around to seeing Queen's, Queen's Gambit. Oh, it was very
1: good. It, I, I just... Uh, yes,
0: yeah, so I I hear. didn't
1: think that they could make something about chess so enthralling but yep they did it it worked Uh, the film is going to focus on epstein's part in the cultural revolution of the 60s his impact on pop music but it's also expected that the very complicated personal life of epstein will form a dramatic backdrop he was a gay jewish man in 60s england where it was illegal to be gay as well as being a compulsive gambler and an addict he died at a very early age of a drug overdose there's a lot of material in there and as a fan of the beatles i'm intrigued with this and i want them to do it justice And in a similar theme biopic, another one that I've got my eye on is the Joey Ramone biopic, I Slept With Joey Ramone for Netflix, which has cast Pete Davidson, who we recently saw as uh, King of Staten Island.
0: Yes, yeah. I've seen this uh, mentioned. I'm, I'm, I'm looking. I'm a bit of a Ramones fan, as I, not as much as I'm a Beatles fan, but this has entered into my Colour me interested yeah. list.
1: It's going to chronicle the life and times of the legendary pioneer of one of the most influential bands in the punk movement. Uh, the Ramones estate have read through the script and they love it, and they've given it their complete blessing. So fingers crossed on two good biopics coming next year.
0: What's this I've heard about? Borat's subsequent movie film. Um, Is it being re-released with extra footage or are we getting a sequel? What's coming out on that? I'm I'm, I'm a bit confused.
1: We're getting a whole new film, which is called Borat Supplemental Reportings Retrieved from Floor of Stable-Containing Editing Machine, which will literally do exactly what it says on the tin. It's taking all the cut scenes and some occasional moments when things got a little bit too hairy, leading to Sacha Baron Cohen breaking character and it's being presented as another release on Amazon. So it's basically for fans of Borat who know that there's more behind all the filming because he films so much of the, like, tricks work. It's basically a chance to see cut scenes as a whole film.
0: Okay. I, it's the same way... The kind of thing you used to get as DVD extras. It's basically. the
1: same way that, um, I mean, we've spoken about it in the past when we spoke heavily about Spinal Tap, and on the DVD of Spinal Tap, they put all the cut scenes together as a mini-movie itself. And that's what they're doing with this Borat one. They're making it into a secondary backup movie to complement the
0: first one. Both you and I really enjoyed uh, Paul Greengrass's News of the World when it landed on Netflix. Uh, Paul Greengrass is directing a political thriller next, called Night of Camp David. See, I, I've not re- I've not heard anything on that, but Greengrass I've got
1: a mixed relationship with. I've never really been a big fan of him, but then he delivered news of the world and showed the director that he's capable of being. And now all of a sudden, I'm, I'm kind of intrigued with what he's going to be doing. So what do you know about it?
0: Uh, very little. It's a universal, it adapts. Fletcher Nebel's 1965 book, itself the story of a junior US senator who comes to believe that the president is mentally unbalanced, and sliding into paranoia as he seeks closer ties to the Soviet Union. And and of course, um, this, like all uh, of Greengrass's work, will will shadow some parts of what's happened in recent political history, as he did with News of the World.
1: Uh, Martin Campbell, who gave us Mask of Zorro and Goldeneye, has an action thriller lined up called Memory, which sounds quite intriguing. It's gonna star action hero himself, Liam Neeson, who's playing an assassin with a reputation as the best, but who has strict rules of who he will work for. And he won't work for one of the biggest underground criminal organisations. But when he becomes a target of that criminal organisation, he must hunt down those who are hunting him whilst evading capture by the FBI. Now, the reason why it's called Memory is where it gets intriguing. He struggles from severe memory loss, and often finds himself questioning his every action and events and the people around him. If you think Memento, but with action, that's what we're looking at here. I was
0: going to say, you, do you think Memento with every other Liam Neeson action film? Yes. Now <laughs> You've probably got a good idea what it is. <laughs> Interestingly,
1: with the links to Memento, Guy Pierce is also signed up to be playing an FBI agent in here, which is going to make it seem very, very bizarre. Um, also cast Monica Bellucci, Taj Atwell, Harold Torres and Ray Faison. It sounds generic action, but it's that little memory loss aspect that could really give it a different spin. Before we round off all the news, we've spoken on a few bullet points of news about leaks from set and spoilers. Over the months, we've mentioned it multiple times. We've spoken about it today when we said a photo from set of Sonic has revealed a character that they hadn't revealed. Now, the team behind the new Scream film, they've done something really clever in order to avoid
0: spoilers. Ooh, tell me more. I'm
1: not sure if you're aware of the history on the Scream films that on the second film, the script got leaked early on into production and Kevin Williamson had to hastily rework the script to change all the elements that had been leaked. And since then, they've always had multiple copies of the script just in case one gets leaked, if they if the right one gets leaked, they made sure to leak the false one at the same time and confuse everyone. This time, they've not only had the multiple scripts, they've actually shot multiple versions of the film. Oh, okay. They so basically, you could have a situation that even the cast don't know what's going to be happening. So there's no chance of anyone accidentally letting drop any reveals of who's now wearing the mask in this new screen film. This should be a genuine surprise this time round, going around. You know, it's expensive to shoot these extra scenes, but I think it's really smart planning for them because the last thing you want on something like a Scream movie coming back, you want the impact of it. You want people to be caught unawares. You want people to be constantly questioning all the characters in there. Let this time we get a chance to do it.
0: And at least they won't be giving everything away in the trailer because they could release multiple trailers <laughs> from the multiple different cuts and let you guess which one it's going to be. Oh, uh, before we end the news, uh, some sad news this week broke, which is the death of uh, Helen McCrory, uh, who died at the age of 52. Um, best known probably in the UK for the Harry Potter films and for Peaky Blinders. Um, it was a sad loss. Uh, she was a, a fabulous actor, spent uh, a lot of her time on stage, making a, a very marked career for herself. But in film, uh, you'll know, as I said, from the Harry Potter movies. Uh, also, keep in mind, she was in Penny Dreadful, um, Doctor Who, fearless his dark materials inside number nine she was married to the actor damian lewis who paid tribute to her in a tweet announcing her passive so all our thoughts are to him their family and their friends a sad loss and not an age it, it is a sad loss uh, uh, one of those uh, those powerful screen presence that you could never take your eyes off her whenever yeah. she was on screen uh, absolutely absolutely tragic loss and that is the news so if you're enjoying The Film File, then hit the subscription button and find The Film File on your favourite podcast platform. Every time you subscribe, you get an extra long director's cut of The Film File with the hashtag...
1: Bigger, longer and uncut.
0: If you wish. You can find The Film File on all your favourite podcast platforms. And in big news, you can now tune in to the Radiogram with your very favourite Film File radio show, which goes out weekly every Thursday on No Barriers Radio, which is an internet online radio station. So there's no escape from the Film File because as well as listening, you can uh, get in touch with us via Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter on... Well, all three of
1: them, Film File UK, at Film File UK, facebook.com slash Film File UK, Instagram, Film File UK. It's so easy to find us. You can even email us, And we want your emails. We want you to tell us what films to watch because we struggle to work out what films to watch each week. Uh, But you can email us with anything (laughs) film-related, podcast at filmfile.uk.
0: This week's Deep Dive is a deep dive into the 1981 John Borman epic, and I don't use the word lightly, but epic medieval fantasy, Excalibur. (laughs) Excalibur.
1: A wizard's ancient spell.
0: Into the eyes of the dragon and the despair.
1: And the lust of a lord. I must have her. One night with her. Give birth to an empire. Behold
0: the sword of power, Excalibur. <laughs>
1: taken root in the present. It is done.
0: (laughs) One man, One king!
1: Orion Pictures presents John Borman's Excalibur. Knights of the Round Table, we shall always come together in a circle to hear and tell of deeds good and brave. And I will marry...
0: So Excalibur co-written, produced and directed by John Borman, retells the legend of King Arthur and the Knights of the Round Table. And it's based on the 15th century Arthurian romance La Morte de Arthur. It starred Nigel Terry as Arthur, Nicole Williams in an amazing turn as Merlin, Nicholas Clay as Lancelot, Sherry Lungy as Guinevere, Helen Mirren as Morgana, a young Liam Neeson as Gawain, Gabriel Byrne as Uther. Uh, the, the casting goes on with Patrick Stewart, a young Patrick Stewart also making an appearance. The film is, of course, named after the legendary sword of King Arthur that features prominently in all Arthurian legend. And I know for Andy, this is one of his favourite films of all time.
1: Yes, this is this is a five-star film for me. When I re-watched it this week, I rated it five stars again. I first caught this film at what was possibly too young an age for what was essentially... Well, it was a double A when it got released in the UK, which is the equivalent to a 15. Um, I must have been around 10 when this was rented out on VHS for me. I already had a fascination with the myth and legend of King Arthur. I'd gone to the library and gone through the whole shelf of Arthurian tales, be it fictional things inspired by or the basis of the myth, the basis of the legend, the possible histories. I loved it. So when this film came out, that's why it was rented for me, because my mum knew. It was about King Arthur, so let's get it for him. Uh, It's a double A. He should be okay with it. (laughs) Oh, were they in for a shock? Um, It's a very gritty, it's a very adult take on Arthurian legend. And it it takes some, does some nips and tucks to the story. It changes a few things. The sword in the stone in here is Excalibur, whereas in the actual Arthurian legend, it wasn't. The sword Sword in the Stone was a different sword. But it also takes inspiration from other similar myths and legends like Tristan and Isdold. But it combines it all together. Every kind of mythical, heroic knight kind of tale has been combined into a beautiful two hours, 20 movie that absolutely captivated me as a youngster, absolutely drew me in. And it became something that I regularly went back to rewatch and... I would constantly ask could we get it out from the video shop again until it came on TV and I managed to record a copy. And I've stuck with it throughout my life. And it's a film that I go back to at least once every four years and still love it. And it was this week that I went back and re-watched it. And I just fell in love with it again. You have mentioned the casting. The casting of Merlin was the very first thing that struck me as a child watching this. Merlin up until that point in my head, he was Long beard and pointy hat, you know, from the Sword in the Stone, the Disney animation.
0: Yeah, the Disney Sword in the Stone version was always kind of the the image you had as Merlin and and the casting, not the casted, the casting of Nicole Williamson was absolutely superb. He brought a right sense of humor uh, to the role. and, And really, and this is where the film succeeds for me. Uh, he he's made it the definitive version of Merlin in my head.
1: Yes, I mean we had a robed figure with a silver headpiece. Uh he was eccentric, witty, mysterious, devious, and also he wasn't necessarily good. And that was the key thing. He was a manipulator. He was there to try to keep balance between good and bad or as represented here by the dark magics and the the power of the dragon. And he was magnificent in the part. He absolutely stole any moment as in and I I know that some people they say that the film suffers when he's not on screen and I can kind of see that because he was such a staggering role his influence on the representations of Merlin throughout the years since has been seen pretty much every time someone's gone for a different kind of approach to Merlin added a bit more jokiness into it because he made it so iconic it would made it a hard bar for future incarnations over my life to live up to even though Things like the BBC TV series of Merlin, quite
0: enjoyed. Yeah, I mean, Borman had planned a film adaptation of the Merlin legend uh, way back into the 1960s. Uh, he, he'd submitted a three-hour uh, script with Roswell Pallenberg, uh, which got turned down. He was, interestingly, he was offered uh, Lord of the Rings, which at one point was to feature the Beatles. But Borman persisted. He, he shopped this around. No studio would commit to it. And it was probably important that much of the imagery that he came up with in the set design was, was created for his original version of, of Lord of the Rings. I like this film an awful lot. I don't love it. I think there are some problems within the storytelling which make it very difficult for me. And there's there's one key sequence in particular, which is when I when I was, I was taught screenwriting, this scene always came up. But I don't want to bore you with that. What I do think it is, as, as much as I, I mentioned Nicole Williamson's definitive version of of playing Merlin. It is always in my head the definitive version of Excalibur. And we've seen that it has that legacy when other King Arthur legends crop up every now and then. I'm, I'm looking at the, the recent version, or should I say, I'm not. Uh, and even though I, I, I don't love it, and I think of it as a film that I admire, you cannot ignore the grand scope and epic quality to this film because Borman makes you feel it and makes you feel as though you're part of this drama uh, and it's got, it's got just a, an, an amazing visual style and a lot of scope and to some extent I think this was Borman's last really big, big studio picture before he started to do things that were more heartfelt like Hope and Glory for instance but as I said, I don't have the love for it that, that you do but what I do is I ad- admire it Tremendously.
1: This is a film that benefits a lot from high definition releases of modern day because watching this on TV back in the VHS days, the detail that I've seen watching it this week was lost. Camelot is described as being made of gold and silver. Yes, the brickwork is painted over silver and gold, so it it absolutely matches it. The detail on the armor, I love the designs of the armor, everything's got a unique design to it. But what I like most about this film overall when it comes to portraying knights and their battles is it's no longer this daring do of mythical knights who are perfect swordsmen. It's clumsy, brutal battles in mud, sullying their shining armour and falling over and ending up drowning. You know, it, it's dirty fighting as it should be. The only part of the film that I feel kind of suffers is the search for the grail aspect. I think that's the point in the film, that it kind of feels a tad clunky. And I think it's more because of what we don't see than what we do. And I did read a few years ago that there was approximately 35 to 40 minutes of edits that were made and cut things out. And I suspect a lot of that was around this element that just feels to start, oh, go find the grail. And then we just find, oh, well, everyone's dead now, except for you and you found it. Well, what happened? And that's what lets it down for me. But I can see past that and still love the film overall. It's a definitive King Arthur tale, like you've said. It's not as definitive as it could be. And I think if someone can get it right, we could get an even more definitive Arthurian legend tale. I think it would need to be a TV series in order to actually give it a time to flow and do it all. But I need to do a quick mention to the music as well. The original score by Trevor Jones was really good. But the use of classical pieces such as O Fortuna from Karl Orff served the film so well. And it, it's But it adds atmosphere. It gives it that depth of character to the whole environment. So when they're riding to the battle to O, o Fortuna, you can't help but just be ah, like, oh, and rallied along with them. I love this film, in case you can't tell. And I will happily, happily re-watch this over and over again.
0: It's certainly a film of its time. And it's a film in which... It was kind of the end of an era for that kind of filmmaking when you had a director like Borman who could go out and make the sort of film that he wanted to make. It, it, it sits really as a, as, a, as a period piece. It's got everything that works well for Borman. It's got that internal logic that's, that's right. It's got that hypnotic quality. It's got that, that huge scale. It misses some of the dramatic intensity that, that it deserved and maybe that's the cut that we got. Uh, sometimes it gets a little bit silly, and again, that is, is sometimes what Borman has a tendency to stray into. Uh, he, he's not always been successful with his storytelling, but it is a truly inspiring take on the Arthurian legend. Uh, and as we've both said, still to this day, I think it is the definitive King Arthur movie and Merlin movie. Interestingly enough, it's Zack Snyder's favourite film and inspired him probably more than anything yes, else.
1: Which is why he's also looking at creating his own King Arthur project, uh, because he this was the film that inspired him, basically, as a youngster, to go into making movies. So, that's why I'm excited about Zack Snyder maybe tackling King Arthur, because I'm hoping that the influence of this film will channel through that. If you've never watched Excalibur, when you watch it, be prepared to be constantly doing a pointing at the screen going that's a that's a because Liam Neeson, very young Liam Neeson, Patrick Stewart, Gabriel yeah. Byrne, Helen Mirren, Sherry Lungi, some marvellous spot the people moments and Patrick Stewart is brilliantly overplaying his role which kind of fits for the um, bravado and gusto of Leon de Grant's when his very first scene when he attempts to pull the sword from the stone I don't know whether it's intentionally or unintentionally hilarious but I, I found myself chuckling because he's just like no! <laughs> Marvellous. Marvellous overacting, but fits it so beautifully. Thoroughly recommend this film.
0: It is quite interesting. I, I don't know if you knew that Helen Mirren and Nicole Williamson were, weren't were particularly good mm. friends, and they'd had some animosity uh, due to a stage production. I think it was uh, uh, Macbeth, and a uh, uh, Borman makes that work for them on screen because they have that animosity. Uh, within the scenes that they play, and it's just one of those elements that, that that really ticks the boxes. As I said, not a film that I love. I know that Andy does. A film that I admire. But it's a film that is well worth watching if you are into the Arthurian legend, as I said. For me, it's the definitive version so far. So Andy, you have had an opportunity, probably more so than I have over the last week, to uh, catch up and watch and review a lot of the recent crop of films that have turned up across the streaming platforms andy what have you got for us for your reviews for this week well
1: interestingly uh, as you know it's a lead up to oscars and we're going to talk about them just after we go through the reviews and i've been working through to try to watch every oscar film before the night and the three that i'm going to mention today are all new films that drop that are all oscar nominated for one thing or another first up we've got promising young woman Every week, I go to a club. I act like I'm too drunk to stand. And every week, can okay, you call me a cab. A nice guy comes over to see if I'm okay. Oh, I thought that you were... Really drunk? Yeah. I'm not. I'm... What would you have
0: me do? Ruin a young man's life? You must want something. It's every guy's worst nightmare getting accused like that.
1: Can you guess what every woman's worst nightmare is?
0: Promising Young Woman. Rated R.
1: Now, this is a film that is definitely representative of the hashtag MeToo arena that we are all living in. A film that genuinely taps into that aspect as Carrie Mulligan plays a young woman who had a promising life ahead of her, but after the loss of a friend when a rape claim was dismissed by the educational establishment and the legal teams, her life went in a whole new trajectory. She spends a night out at bars waiting for lecherous men to show themselves as the creeps they are and then exact retribution against them when they try to force themselves on her. When she has a chance encounter with a guy she went to college with, it makes her more optimistic that maybe it's not all men and she can change her life and that some men are good, possibly enough for her to bring an end to her revenge plans. Carrie Mulligan is always good in a film, but in this, she's magnificent. It's more than good. She absolutely is the centrepiece throughout from her opening introduction as she plays a drunk at the bar to her final moments, you root for her, you understand her frustrations, and you want her You want her to achieve. The film smartly doesn't show the retribution. It lets us wonder exactly how she's punishing these people. And this smartly prevents the film from being a bloody splatter revenge thriller when it deserves to be something more thought-provoking. And that's what it is. It's a very thought-provoking film. Recommended. It's on Sky Movies at the moment. Promising Young Woman. The second one is one that we mentioned last week was coming on and you'd said that you'd heard good things about it and that's Love and Monsters.
0: Yeah, I was absolutely gagging to watch this movie and I'll give you a very brief review of uh, Godzilla vs. King Kong, which I ended up watching instead. But I'm still absolutely gagging to see this movie.
1: Love and Monsters stars Dylan O'Brien, who you might remember for the Maze Runner films. He plays Joel, who's a late teen, early 20s guy. An asteroid headed to Earth was obliterated by pretty much every nation's nuclear devices firing off at it. It stopped the asteroid from destroying the planet, but the resulting radiation caused a slight side effect. All the small creatures and insects of the planet Earth began to mutate and grow into freakish monsters. Mankind now found itself hunted everywhere they went and soon formed small colonies underground using old bunkers, subway systems, caves, etc. for their homes and keeping in contact with each other via radio. Joel sadly ended up separated from his girlfriend Amy, but when he reconnects with her over the airways, he decides he's going to do the seven-day hike on the surface to go and see her. So much fun is in this film. It's a film that knows the B-movie roots that it's inspired by, but it's never hindered by the B movie roots the effects work is nominated in the oscars and deservedly so the creature designs are beautifully magnificent they blend in so well with the real life elements and it was a reasonably low budget kind of film as well when you re- watch it and realize that you realize how good a job they've done this is thoroughly recommended fun entertainment for young teens and upwards if your child is just below the teens and yeah when I was eight, I'd have probably loved this as well. There's nothing over the top in it, but there are some moments of peril that younger audiences might feel a bit jarred by. Love and Monsters is on Netflix.
0: Completely looking forward to that. I'll quickly mention my thoughts on on Godzilla versus King Kong. I know you had a good time with it, and I was waiting for a good time. I knew that the bits in between two monsters hitting each other would be the, the worst elements and and you were right and absolutely spot on with that it was great to see godzilla and king kong uh beating seven shades out to each other in imaginative uh, uh huge action sequences which was that what we paid our money to see however the trudging plot and trudging dialogue in between and the nonsensical elements because they were only put in not just to propel the story forward but just to go yeah we need something here that tells some essence of a story just infuriated me to the point of absolute boredom. I really, really wanted to like this. If I'd seen it on the big screen rather than home viewing, I might have come away with something different to it. Maybe the magnitude of the screen would have made it much more fun. But even after the first round, I wasn't looking forward to the knockout punches that came later on. Absolutely disappointed. Really wanted to be able to say, Yes, of course it was a B movie and therefore I can accept an awful lot. But I did that worst thing. I just found myself drifting and being a little bit bored. So I'm sorry. Um, it, wasn't, it was a no score draw for me for Godzilla vs. King Kong.
1: Well, we can't always agree. But I, I understand exactly what you're saying. Those things didn't disrupt it for me. I was too caught up. The only thing that I felt it was lacking was a big screen to see it on. Now, my final film... This is a deeply personal film that hit me hard, and it's up for a few Oscars, one of them being for lead actor, and that's The Father, which stars Anthony Hopkins as a proud, ageing father who's the centrepiece of the story. The events that play out swap out actors in roles over times and also alter events that repeat on occasion to offer a confused muddle of events because the film is adapted from a stage play about someone in the later stages of dementia, and it's their perception of the world around them. What is real? What is happening? There are thoughts watching as we're experiencing the muddled perceptions and confused events of Hopkins' character. And I I say that this is deeply personal to me because I've got a family history with dementia in the family. I saw my granddad go this way. I've seen my auntie go this way. Me and my mum half joke about this is where we're going to be going. So... I've seen every element that was portrayed in this film. Now, it's adapted from the stage play. We've said many times before on adaptations from stage plays that they sometimes feel too stagey. This one does, but it kind of works for this because we are seeing his vision of the world as his mind is eroding. And so it kind of works that it feels like a stage play. I've seen the deterioration firsthand. I was confused where as a child, seeing my granddad suddenly breaking down in tears and calling me Kevin and forgetting who I was. And as my auntie started going the same way, I, start, I understood it more and more. This film is deeply deeply impacting. I've seen very mixed reviews of it online, but the reviews that have seen the have given it lower scores, it's been quite clear that it's not from people who have experienced dementia on a personal level. By the end of this film, I was a wreck. I had tears streaming down my face and it hit me at an emotional core. It's a hard film to watch, much like Dancer in the Dark was when I watched that last year. This is a film that I'm not sure I can sit through again, but It's a five out of five film for me for the impact and the honest brutality of the portrayal of dementia that it shows us. It is a crippling film about a crippling disease that affects far too many people. And when you've seen a loved one regress back to that of a child, you will understand everything that this film is showing.
0: So we know that this film has had six nominations at the Oscars and that kind of nicely rounds out and takes us into our predictions for the Oscars. So um, I've got a feeling that Nomadland is going to be the one that absolutely takes away everything. It's just that the reception has been so good. I've not had a chance to see the movie yet, but word of mouth has been so strong on this. And, and the expectation for it, it, it feels to me that um, I think it will take best picture. I think it's up against probably Mank because what Hollywood does is it, it, it does love itself. Well, I've, I've got a great deal of love. Um, yeah. I've got a great deal of, of, of time for Mank. I, I just got the feeling that the world that we're living in now, Nomadland, is, is the one that's going to, to be the one.
1: The best picture category is a strong category. There's none of the films which are in there that if they actually won it, I'd feel, no, you don't deserve to win. I personally would like The Father, having seen both Nomadland and The Father. We'll talk about Nomadland on a later show because I want to talk about it once you've seen it as well. Yeah, I would personally pick The Father over it because of how it impacted on me and how I could see the truth that was being represented there. Whereas Nomadland, okay, I can see why it's getting all applauded at the moment, just didn't quite connect as much with me. When it comes to director... There's again a great lineup. I mean, you've got Emerald Fennell from Promising Young Woman, who's done a marvelous job on that film. But I do think this is going to be Nomad Land again. Nomad Land is a beautifully looking film, it takes the environments that it's played in. So this deserves it, the attention to how it's been presented. Director, definitely Nomad Land.
0: I, I agree, though. I do think, again, it might swing to Fincher because Fincher's not won an Oscar yet for Best Director. And I think this might be one of those uh, one of those situations where it, it swings to him. Uh, best actor, Andy. Uh, it sounds to me that your mind's made up. There's going to be Hopkins for the father. That's
1: who I'd like to get it, but I do think this is going to be a with Boseman.
0: I, I do as well, and I think that's where kind of the good money's on. I know in the BAFTAs, everyone expected Boseman to 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 pick up uh, Best Actor for his Black Bottom, and Anthony Hopkins won that. But I think, as some sort of tribute to such a gifted young actor that that was cut down in his prime, it, it feels as though as some kind of award to uh, that will act as a as a legacy for for the man. I think it, it'll probably take away. I mean, again, strong choice: Riz Ahmed for Sound of Metal, yeah, Gary uh, Oldman Hopkins, as you mentioned, Gary Oldman for Mank, and Steve Ewan for Minari. Uh, best Actress in a leading role: We got Viola Davis, Andrea Day for United States versus Billy Holiday. Vanessa Kirby for Pieces of a Woman, uh, Frances McDormand for Nomadland, and Carrie Mulligan for Promising Young Woman. Where does, she, where does your instinct take you?
1: See, with Pieces of a Woman, Vanessa Kirby was the only one who stood out in that film. The rest of the film I didn't quite get with, but she was marvellous in it. Personally, Carrie Mulligan really stole the whole film of Promising Young Woman, so I would love for her to get her, get the award here, but I do think Frances McDormand
0: will be getting an award on this
1: one for Nomadland.
0: Yeah, I, I'm inclined to agree. For supporting actor, I'd like to say Sasha barrow <laughs> for Trial of Chicago 7. I'd like
1: to, but having seen Judas and the Black Messiah, I, I have got a lot of hope that Lakeith Stansfield gets the award on this one because i thought that he really played that part absolutely perfectly uh
0: supporting actress um i'm gonna go with uh as i've not seen the father i think olivia coleman is probably one of those that's due i would like to see uh uh, put my money on uh maria bakalova for Borat's subsequent movie film because i thought she was just tremendous she
1: stole the film. Yeah, she came from nowhere and has just stolen that film. And I, th- I think it, a lot of people will dismiss it because it's a comedy approach. But the level of detail of her acting, she had to convince people that she was really that character in real life. That deserves the award. Whether she gets it, I think this might be a nod to Amanda Seafried, to be honest with you on this one, because her part as Marion Davis in Mank was pretty damn good. But I would love... For them to actually acknowledge stunt casting, basically with uh, Maria Bakalova.
0: Uh, best animated feature. I'm going to go with Soul.
1: Soul didn't connect with me, as we know. Uh, Wolf Walkers connected yeah. with me on more of a level, and that's what I'd like. But I do think Soul's going to win it. <laughs> this this is one of the hard things for me. Every Oscars is that I always I always like to put small little one pound bets on, <laughs> and you can do
0: it virtually. I have
1: to think okay, do I go with what my heart says or do I go what I think they're going to actually award? And on the animated features, I'd put me pound on Soul. Because as much as I want Wolf Walkers to get it, so we'll get it. So
0: those, we know that there's still the best original screenplay, which I, I'd like to see Trial of Chicago 7 take home. Because I, I thought that was uh, how to make a courtroom drama absolutely, absolutely riveting. Uh, and you on that one?
1: I do think that The Sound of Metal is very clever in its, um, it, its structure. And the flow of it. So I would love Sound of Metal to actually get the screenplay one.
0: Well, we'll find out very, very shortly. But those are our predictions. If you're in the good money, then either one of us, you can place a a hefty pound bet and we'll, at least one of us will be right somewhere, I think. Yes, but
1: I'm going to be sat there Sunday night watching the whole event. Can't wait.
0: And that brings us up nearly to the end of the programme. But before we go, we have been looking over The Falcon and the Winter Soldier. And it's been a strange oddity for Marvel. It's their second Disney Plus show. Uh, It started, of course, with WandaVision. And uh, we've said before, maybe if this series had come first, it would probably have a a higher accolade. But it's been um, a strange journey, not necessarily a journey that we both love. A bit like Borman's Excalibur. I've admired it rather than loved it. But finally, with this episode, simply known as The Truth, proceedings... uh, certainly delivered perhaps the best episode of the series so far and in a clever way and the same thing kind of happened with wandavision it was the missing piece of the jigsaw where everything else felt as though it connected andy uh, i i know that you and i spoke in between viewings uh, but this one for me is what the entire series has been about and, and even though it's taken five episodes to get there it's kind of proved that it was well worth the wait
1: yeah if over the past few episodes, when we've been talking about the episodes, it's been very clear that it's like we've not quite felt where it's going, what it's doing, what it wants to be. But this was the episode that put everything into context. And it it's made, I said, said to you when we were talking off air about this, it's made me look forward to once we see this final episode this week to go back to the beginning and rewatch it with the eyes, knowing where it's going to be leading and spotting how it builds up, because I think it's been a cleverer series in hindsight than what it felt like at the time. Uh, we had the mystery reveal this week, and no, it wasn't Mephisto. It
0: was even better, to be honest.
1: It was Julia Louis-Dreyfus, um, who, you know, those of us know from Seinfeld, playing Valentina Allegra de Fontaine, or Madame Hydra who seems to be recruiting a team of, well, shall we say, Dark Avengers?
0: Mm. Oh, I assume it's showing yeah.
1: seeds for the future. And also, there was the hints that, is Sharon Carter the power broker? Has she been the catalyst yeah. that has set everything off? And this is why I am now want to go back and rewatch everything because I kind of dismissed any of the Sharon Carter moments because they didn't seem consequential. But now I feel that they're all completely consequential to the
0: whole story. Yeah, it feels too late now to bring in a new character to, to play off as, as the power broker. So it, it is pointing for me that it, it, it is Sharon Carter, especially in the fact that she arranged for uh, Batrock to join up with the Flag Smashers, and, yep. uh, and it seemed pretty much that she was behind all that. I mean, yeah, this, this episode delivered. And quite cleverly, where we all thought was going to be the the last episode, which was going to be Bucky and Falcon facing down the John Walker Captain America, that happened right at the top end of this particular episode, in which now everything is about about what the truth is and what it actually means to carry that shield. And in in a beautiful sequence, uh, Sam heads back to the States and visits Isaiah Bradley, who was a, uh, because he was a black man who'd been given the super soldier, he ended up in prison. And it just pointed and became very poignant about America's systematic racism and rewritten history. And, And he said they'll never let a black man be Captain America. And because Sam is a fighter and sees the world in a different way, Then we feel now, and especially what is in the box. We're all guessing the gift from Wakanda is uh, a red, white, and blue Falcon suit. That that Sam has to be in this new age, the Captain America to to diminish what John Walker did, and to prove that a black man, yes, even now, and even though he's going against what Isaiah Bradley said to him, he has to be the person to carry the shield and carry the mantle. Yeah.
1: If there's only one little niggle I've got with this latest episode. And that's the montage sequence of Sam training with the shield, bouncing it off things and struggling to catch it as it comes back until the end of the montage when he catches it perfectly. Because five minutes before that, we saw him and Bucky doing just that casually.
0: Yeah, you see, I, I know it's slightly cliche, but what I, what I thought that worked is, yeah, he could do it when Bucky's there, but when it came to being a man on his own, that he kind of failed. It's all right when you can toss a frisbee around <laughs> with a friend, but when the responsibility is onto you, that's for me is when it made sense. and and it, and it completely it completely paid off that while Isaiah Bradley's past can't be and shouldn't be forgotten, it, it was it's up to Sam Wilson to do better, yeah. and to build a better future. And I think that's now what this series is about and the strength of this. So yeah, it was a kind of a hokey montage sequence, but it, it's now given this series uh, an identity. So last episode this week, clearly Sam's upcoming fight with the Flag smashers and Batroc is going to be exciting, but we now know that this episode, The Truth, grounds Falcon and the Winter Soldier in a a series that felt maybe a little bit rushed just to get the set pieces in. We now know what this series is actually about, and it was well worth the wait, and can't wait now for that final episode.
1: So other things to watch over this next week. Uh, On Now TV and Sky, uh, the 2019 live-action Italian Pinocchio film, Lands, which is an Oscar nomination. Unhinged, which is Russell Crowe's road rage fueled movie, is going to smash onto the screens. And obviously, there's the Oscars on Sunday night for those who want to stay awake until 4am. On Netflix, there's Anna Kendrick is going to star in a film called Stowaway which is a sci-fi thriller set on a manned mission to Mars. Mars is very popular recently. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And finally, for lovers of Navy SEAL John Clark, the Tom Clancy creation, Without Remorse is landing on Amazon. John Clark is played by Michael B. Jordan, and he uncovers an international conspiracy in a typical action thriller. So there's a bit for everyone this weekend on all the streaming services.
0: And that's it for this week. But before we go, and we do this every week, We offer you our neat thing. That's something that we've watched, read, a game that we played, a piece of music, absolutely anything. Andy, over the last week, what has been your neat thing?
1: I was going to have Horizon Zero Dawn Complete Edition as my neat thing because it's completely free for PlayStation 4 and PlayStation 5 users at the moment, but I'm going for a different game instead for my love because there's one game that has been taking up all of my time, and that's the new odd world game, Soulstorm that landed on the PlayStation 5 as the plus giveaway this month. It retains the 2D-styled approach of the original game, but with a beautifully realised 3D aspect where the world moulds around your actions. The gameplay is familiar to fans of the original Abe's Odyssey game, but so much more has been added as you play Abe, the free mudican, who is now a beacon of hope for other enslaved workers. The idea is free the slaves, escort them safely while uncovering the latest plottings of Mullet the Glutton. And it's one of those games that even though the difficulty level gets quite significant, you never feel that it's unfairly working against you. If you die, it's because you made a mistake. It's not because the game is working against you and you repeat it until you get it right. I love the Odd World series. I think the humour in there is great. The cutscenes are marvellous. The voice acting, the storytelling, it's all there. And this is a game that I'm going to keep going back to because it's got multiple endings based on what your final karma score is. So I'm going to be unlocking every ending on this game. Love it. Oddworld, Soulstorm.
0: So my neat thing is an app, and it's an app called Happy Color. And it's a colouring app that you can uh, download onto your iPad and just do that you can colour things in. I'll tell you what, it sounds a little bit silly, but it's something that I've found incredibly la- relaxing. So you can colour in uh, a huge variety of very intricate pictures sometimes. There are themes to it, some, such as tattoos or mosaics. Uh, there are a, a couple of Marvel colouring in pieces, and there's even been a Wonder Woman 1984 set of pictures to colour in. Now, I know it doesn't sound very exciting, but when you've had a stressful day, just sat there, you can completely lose an hour or two just colouring in. And just before you go to sleep at night, and I'm not the best sleeper in the world, it's just one of those things that, that helps me drift off. And that's called Happy Colour. There's a whole magnitude of adult colouring sites, but that's the one I found and thoroughly, thoroughly chilled out doing it. We'll be back next week with another episode of The Film File. So that's it for me. And that's it from me. I'll see you next week, Andy. In the meantime, take care. But Andy, before we go, look into my eyes, the eyes of the dragon and despair.